welcome to the uh, E5 Medic. Can I extend a warm welcome to you, particularly if this is your first week with us? Uh, if you've been coming to some of the events over the last three weeks, then you'll realise that I'm not English and I'm not a Scotsman, but I'm sort of the next best thing I thought, actually. Uh, <laughs> Uh, well, I, was here, I thought, this is a gift from my friend Lee, and I thought this in some sort of way makes some vague connection to mission last year. If you don't get the joke, come and ask me later. Okay. Uh, one of the good things that we're going to be doing uh, over this week, particularly over the next three talks, is I'm going to uh, talk to you about what it means. Oh, you're awake now. I'm going to talk to you about what, about what it means to follow Jesus. And. Um, this week at the EU Public Meetings, one of the things we're doing is we're doing three different talks. Uh, today we're looking at why follow Jesus, why should I follow Jesus. And you'll see there on the front of the outline that the talks are tomorrow on Thursday, particularly tomorrow, is what does it cost to follow Jesus? Um, and the thing we're exploring tomorrow will be what does it cost us to follow Jesus? And what does it cost God for us to be able to follow Jesus? And then on Thursday we're going to be spending some time uh, considering the topic as to whether we're really following Jesus. Um, and so if you're a regular member of the EU and you might like to come to an additional public meeting this week, if you don't normally come to EU things or don't normally come to public meeting, then I can invite you to come to uh, any or all of the talks. If you've got questions in this next 25 minutes or so when I'm speaking, you can send me a text message and I'm going to take questions in about 20 minutes. Uh, one of the things that uh, I wanted to start with is just to give you a brief overview of what Christianity is not particularly if you've been coming for the last couple of weeks, you may have gained some clarity into what you think Christianity is. And I would suggest that Christianity is not another world religion just like all the others. If you came to our interfaith panel a couple of weeks ago, you would have seen that actually there are a number of world religions and some of them make competing claims. Christianity is not just another world religion like all the others. Christianity is not about adopting a philosophy of spirituality. It's not just a metaphysical intellectual exercise. Uh, Christianity is not just trying to follow laws and commandments. The heart of Christianity is a person. The person of Jesus of Nazareth, who lived as a man and walked on the earth 2,000 years ago. Christianity is about a man, the man Jesus, and those who call themselves Christians are in a relationship with this man, Jesus Christ. How is this possible, despite the fact that he lived 2,000 years ago? Because Christians believe that God the Father raised Jesus the Son back to life. And so Jesus today is now alive. And because he is alive, we can have a relationship with him. And so now I want to ask the question then, well, what is stopping you from following this man Jesus? What is stopping you from following this man Jesus? And I think there's a couple of uh, sort of fairly quick answers. I just can't be bothered. Fairly, well, that's one I hear when I talk to people. Let's come and bother Actually, I quite like life the way it is at the moment. I just don't know how to follow Jesus. Don't know, actually, what does that involve? Or is it actually the best way? Maybe there's another better way to live life. And actually, I want to go and search after that one first. Um, I want to suggest that um, uh, for some of you sitting here today, you would, if we asked, privately or publicly say, I am a follower of Jesus. Just because today's talk is about why should I follow Jesus, the question I want to ask of you initially is, because you've stated that you're a follower of Jesus, either privately before you and God or publicly to your friends, how closely are you following him? 
Because today we need to reconsider that question as well. So you'll declare yourself as a follower of Jesus. How closely are you following him? Are you perhaps like the rich young ruler who comes to Jesus and says, what must I do to be saved? He follows the laws and the commandments. Jesus says, you lack one thing. Go sell all you have, give to the poor and follow me. Have you done that this morning? Have you given away all that you had to the poor as part of your ongoing commitment to follow Jesus? Are you still perhaps storing up treasures here on earth? See, the call to follow Jesus is a costly one. And we're going to explore that a little bit more tomorrow. But for those of us who call themselves Christians, we do well to remind ourselves what it means. And not just on an annual basis when we sit in church at Christmas, maybe not just at Easter, but actually daily when we consider the claims of Jesus on our life. For others of us, the request to follow Jesus or the call to follow Jesus is a new thing. Something that we may have encountered only recently as an adult. We may have heard about it as a child growing up, going to Sunday school perhaps. Maybe in those chapel services that you're now glad you don't have to sit through anymore. And so for you, the call to follow Jesus as an adult is actually a new thing. In which case, we need to ask the question, why then should we follow Jesus? And I've got some fairly obvious answers, but they're not ones that I want to deal with today. Here's some reasons why I think you should follow Jesus. Because it's true. Because following Jesus is the best explanation for the evidence of Jesus' life, death and resurrection. Because Christianity works. But then I'm actually going to address a slightly different issue today. I want to go back a step and address the issue of why we have difficulty in accepting Jesus' request to follow him. And I think that it is because, and this is not just whether or not you call yourself a follower of Jesus or whether or not you don't call yourself a follower of Jesus. I think the difficulty we have is that we are often unconvinced that we need to follow Jesus. And so sometimes in the extreme moments of life, if we call ourselves a follower of Jesus, we are very, very thankful that we've got Jesus. But when life is going really well and we fail to recognise that all these good things come from God, I think we're less convinced that we need to follow Jesus. And so I want to address this question of why we are not convinced that we need to follow Jesus. Uh, when I was uh, studying at university, I studied geography as my undergraduate and postgraduate degree. So I'm a geographer by profession. Uh, which means I can read and interpret topographic maps very well, and uh, I enjoy colouring in. Um, <laughs> I was really disappointed, actually, when I got to uni, because I wouldn't colour in you know, at school, and they taught us how to use computers. And it sort of took away a lot of fun, of blending colours. Uh, myself and my two friends, Chris and Andrew, uh, none of whom, I don't think you know them, we went for a bushwalk one day in the Blue Mountains. We were planning to go for four nights, and uh, we went out sort of down around Narrow Neck. Anyone know the area? Yeah, we sort of just kept heading south, basically, and uh, we mapped out fairly carefully where we were going. We had all the right gear, I mean that genuinely. Uh, you know, you hear stories of people who say, oh, I had all the right gear. I had my thongs and a bottle of water, and I headed off in the bush. No, no, we were, we, were, we were genuinely very, very prepared. We had all the right gear. We had tents, we had wet weather gear, despite the fact that there was no chance of rain. We were carrying, you know, five litres of water each. We, were, we had all the right things. Uh, this was before they had GPS located beacons that were readily available for everybody. Uh, so my mate Chris, who was a bit of a geek and loved all things new, had bought a distressed beacon. 
They were hundreds of dollars. I don't know how he afforded it. Anyway, it wasn't stressful. It had this um, flashing light on it, which apparently you could see from an aeroplane hundreds of kilometers away. So he was actually quite confident. If we got lost in the middle of a bush, he'd climb a tall tree. And you can imagine this painting. He's climbing this tall tree, and he's just holding this beacon in the middle of the National Park of the Blue Mountains, waiting for an aeroplane to fly over. We go, oh, there's someone down there. We should... Anyway, we'd been going for at least a day with camp. We were going for our next day. We were heading off down what appeared to be the right spur. Quick geography lesson. Now, valleys, that's the thing rivers run through. The spurs are the high bits up the top. And we preferred to walk along the spur because the view is better and it's an easier walk. After, at the end of the second day, we're sort of getting close to when we think it's time to set up camp. And we noticed that we're just not really where we thought we should be. Now, we were experienced bushwalkers. But at some point previously, we'd actually just slightly taken a wrong turn. And as we walked along a plateau and two spurs had done this, we'd inadvertently followed the wrong one. Now, at the point of the decision, there really didn't look, it wasn't two paths with big signs, right way, wrong way. But we were chatting, we were enjoying our holiday, we were, and we didn't realise until about 10 hours later. What do we do? Well, we got our topographic maps and we knew where we wanted to be. And it took us a little bit. We got our compasses out and we looked, we got some bearings. And we knew where we were and we knew where we wanted to be. And then we had a discussion for about an hour about how we were going to get there. <laughs> because the problem was there was a whopping great big valley in the way. And one of my party, I won't tell you who it is in case you know, was very keen to go down the valley, cross the river, and climb back up the other side. <laughs> And he said, it won't take us long. And I'm sitting there going, oh, it will take us long. <laughs> so what, what should we do? I'll come back to that story in a minute. Okay. Uh, now what I want to do, though, is I want to try and hear the words of Jesus. And so at this point, I want you to take out a Bible. And if you don't have a Bible, I'd like to give you one. Okay? Because in it, you will find out what it means to follow Jesus. <laughs> And so what I need is I need some volunteers. If you don't have a Bible, just stick up your hand. Richard, do you have a Bible? Well, you can hand those out to people. Up the aisle. If you need a Bible, yep. Uh, one of the things that we do as part of normal EU public meetings and part of EU activities is we read the Bible together. And so I want you to turn up to John chapter 9. John chapter 9. I'm going to read some of John chapter 9. If you're in, if you're in these versions, if you're in these versions, it's on page 123, John chapter 9, page 123. This is the uh, NIV translation I'm reading from John 9 verse 1. If you still can't see a Bible, your friends aren't sharing, or you're not bold enough to stick up your hand. John chapter 9 verse 1. This is the question I'm going to ask you to talk with your neighbour about after I've finished reading. This is the question I want you to be considering as I read the text. The question that I'm going to ask you to talk about with the person sitting next to you in a couple of minutes' time is, how have the religious leaders misunderstood Jesus? How have the religious leaders misunderstood Jesus? Here we go, John 9. Um, as Jesus went along, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. As long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. 
Having said this, he spat on the ground, laid some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word has been sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. The man washed and came home seeing. His neighbours and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, Isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, No, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes open? They demanded. He replied, The man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash, so I went and washed, and then I could see. Where is this man? I asked him. I don't know, he said. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now the day in which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was the Sabbath. Therefore the Pharisees, they're the religious leaders, also asked him how he received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, how can a sinner do such miraculous signs? So they were divided. Finally, they turned to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. The man replied, he is a prophet. The Jews still did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son, they asked. Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that now he can see? We know he is our son, the parents answered, and we know he was born blind. But how he can see now, or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him, he is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews. For already the Jews had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Christ would be put out of the synagogue. That was what his parents said. He is of age, ask him. A second time they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God, they said. We know this man is a sinner. At that point they're referring to Jesus. The man replied, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. Then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I have told you already and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Then they hurled insults at him and said, You are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. The man answered, Now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly man who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. To this they replied, You were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. Jesus had heard that they had thrown him out. And when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, You have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world, so that the blind will see, and those who see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, What, are we blind too? Jesus said, If you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. 
I'm going to give you about a minute to talk to the person next to you and answer this question. How have the religious leaders, the Pharisees, misunderstood Jesus? Okay. How did the religious leaders misunderstand Jesus? Do you notice that as the story goes on, Jesus builds an expectation for the giving of sight? Notice right back at the beginning, when Jesus uses this little phrase, I am the light of the world. To a blind person, that is of no use. If you're blind, you can't see whether or not it's light or not. Jesus, right at the beginning of the story, makes this declaration, I am the light of the world. He is the one who will actually bring light to those who are in darkness. And preempts and builds the tension and expectation, I think, for the man being able to be given his sight. Jesus commands the man, and do you notice? The man's sight is restored. Not partially, not temporarily, completely. This is a man who, from his birth, could not see. Now, the interaction with the religious leaders. How did they misunderstand who Jesus was? Anyone? talking with the religious leaders, Jesus goes and finds him and asks him this question. Do you believe in the Son of Man? Now, the Son of Man is a reference back to some parts of the Old Testament where the Jewish people were looking forward to the coming of one who was a Son of Man, who was a man who, according to Daniel chapter 7, would be led into the presence of God and all authority and power would be given to this one. This man would one day be the one who rules the entire world. This is the expectation that the Jews had. And Jesus now asks the question of this man, do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Presumably the man, if he hadn't been asked this question earlier, would have said, I don't know because I can't see him. But now, what does Jesus say? Jesus says, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. And the man's response The man's response is immediate and is appropriate in the circumstances. If the person standing in front of you says, I am the one who is going to rule the entire world, what is your response? Well, the Pharisees' response was they were blinded and could not see because they didn't understand. But this man's response is, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. See, the coming of Jesus creates a distinction. It creates a distinction between those who are blind and those who can see. And the thing that the words of Jesus does, the things the words of Jesus do, is if we think we can see, because we think we know who God is, and we think we know how to get right with God, 
The words and claims of Jesus show us we are in fact blind. It is only through recognising Jesus for who he is that we actually come to see that we ourselves are blind. And that if we are going to be right with God the Father, then actually we need to change. And the Bible uses this word to change, it uses a word called repentance. <coughs> See, back to my illustration when we were bushwalking, uh, we got to the end of our second day and we looked at our maps. And in the end, we decided not to go the exciting route, which I'm sure some of you young men probably would have wanted to do. We decided not to. What did we do? Well, we repented. Now, it wasn't a spiritual experience, and we didn't feel guilty about it, which is why we felt we had to repent, but we repented, we changed our mind. And we turned around and went back the other way. Until we got to the point where we realised we'd made a mistake, and then we went in the right direction. Now, admittedly, we were an extra day late, but the reality is the repentance that we made was not because of guilt, but because we recognised that we'd actually been going the wrong way. The Bible uses this word repentance to talk about the way in which we start following Jesus. Jesus says right at the beginning of Mark's Gospel when he comes, repent, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe in the good news. Repent and believe in this great news that actually we can be right with God the Father because of the work of the Son. And so what does it mean to follow Jesus? Well, first and, for, first and foremost, it means if you want to start following Jesus, you need to repent. You need to turn around from walking away from God and walk the way Jesus asks you to walk. But can I suggest that this is not just a once-off thing that you do when you become a Christian? This is actually a thing that you will keep doing as your life goes on. As you see that you're not walking the way in which Jesus wants you to walk, you continue to repent. You turn around and you go back the way you're meant to be going. So why follow the Son? Well, for a couple of reasons. Firstly, it is the Son, the man Jesus Christ, who enables us to be put right with God. He enables us to be in a right relationship with the Father. Now, the consequence of not repenting is something that we're going to deal with a little bit more tomorrow, but let me just say this. The consequence of not repenting is you will continue to be walking away from God. And if Jesus really is the ruler of the world, and if you really are part of God's creation, then God will call you to account for that one day. In exactly the same way that if my friends and I had have not repented, but had have tried to get to where we were going by another route, we would have been in much greater difficulty than we were in the first place. And so, what does the Bible tell us the consequence of not repenting is? Well, the consequence is we continue to rebel against God, and God one day will punish us for that. What does it cost us to turn around? Well, we're going to explore this a little bit more tomorrow, but actually it costs us... Well, the cost is actually borne by the death of Jesus on the cross. So that instead of God being angry with us because we've been walking away from him, he's angry with his son. It actually costs you nothing to turn around and walk the way God intends you to walk. Is it easy to follow Jesus? Sometimes. Is it difficult to follow Jesus? Sometimes. 
Is it challenging? Yes. Can you do it by yourself? No. See, if you think you can follow Jesus purely by yourself, then chances are you're not actually trusting in what he says. Chances are you're heading in the wrong direction. Why do I say that? Well, actually, it's not possible to follow God without knowing what he expects of you. Without reading the words of Jesus and following what he expects of you. And the great joy is that God gives us his Holy Spirit so we know in a relationship with him what he expects of us. Now, following Jesus, friends, is life. And this is one of the reasons why we're doing this series over this week, because it follows on from what we've been talking about about the last couple of weeks. Following Jesus is the way humanity is meant to be, not just another option for humanity. Now, if you started following Jesus, then can I encourage you to continue to follow Jesus? And when you know you're not following, then turn back. If you've not yet started following Jesus, then the call to you today is repent. Stop walking away from God and turn around and follow Jesus. Okay, I'm going to take a moment for questions. And if you want to send me a text message or stick your hand up from the floor, uh, then I will endeavour to answer the questions about what I've been talking about today or any other question really about what it means to follow Jesus. from someone who is a follower of Jesus. So I'm going to get uh, someone to come up and interview someone, and then I'm going to come back and finish. Thanks, Eddie. Uh, yes, my name is Simon. I'm one of the staff uh, here who works alongside the EU at Sydney Uni. Uh, and this is Kelvin. Um, Kelvin, uh, you're a follower of Jesus, yes. which is fantastic. Uh, that's excellent. Uh, a lot of people in this room have been following Jesus for a long time. You've not been following Jesus for that long, have you? No. I've only been following Jesus for six months. <laughs> Outstanding. <laughs> not, you know, not that anyone's actually counting. Uh, mate, what were, if you can briefly tell us, what made you turn around, repent, uh, and start following after and walking after Jesus? Fellowship. Uh, I found a lot of good Christians. Uh, before that, Christianity to me was hypocrisy. Um, it was boring. It was a chore. But I saw a group of people who really worshipped God and loved God. And that was really touching for me. And so I became more and more interested in God. Because I didn't, to be honest, I didn't really know what God was and what God meant until I looked deeper. And I had questions and I kept questioning and kept questioning him. You start to see, and that's how I. There's one point where I just said, yeah, "This is this is it. I'm gonna stop running away from God, and I'm gonna worship Him." That's brilliant. Well done. Fantastic decision. Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> uh, now, my other question, uh, briefly, before we get Patty back up, is: uh, So, you know, in Patty's story, it obviously looked bit different when they went down the right spur. What has looked different in your life in the last six months? So since you decided to repent, to turn to Jesus, what's changed in you uh, in those six months? Oh, nothing physically, so I'm still me. And I've never had a haircut. But nothing really changed physically. It was more um, how I saw things, um, my attitude towards life. Um, basically, 
how I see everything around me. So what I gained after becoming a Christian was what I already had. But the thing was, I started to appreciate all that I had in life because I started realizing that this was all God-given and that I should appreciate that everything I had, such as relationships with my parents, uh, relationship with um, my friends, the people around me. Um, I did lose a lot, a lot of um, close friends because I started to see how wrong we were, such as um, life started to have no meaning. That's what I saw. Uh, it was basically work, uni, party, work, uni, party. And it just kept going around that circle. And a lot of things that I used to do, I don't do it anymore, such as um, clubbing all the time. Um, not, that, not that clubbing is wrong, but because it's just, there's, no, there's nothing to it, there's no substance, there's, it's just not fun anymore to me. And I went there for the wrong reasons. Well, I, I've been really encouraged by you following after Jesus. Uh, I think sometimes if you're a Christian for a while, you start to wonder whether Christ actually works in people's hearts and changes them. And so I've been really encouraged watching you grow and want to follow Jesus more. Uh, and uh, hopefully uh, you telling your story has been likewise encouraging and challenging to the people here today. So thanks for, for talking to us and we'll pray. Uh, so yeah, thanks. I think uh, there's, a, there's a particular group of people in the room who at some point in the past have agreed to follow Jesus. Uh, they would call themselves Christians. Uh, my word of encouragement to you is, will you continue to commit to walking with Jesus, but doing it more closely? Uh, knowing that at times it's a struggle, as you resist um, the sin in your life, and knowing that at times actually that is a bit countercultural, and some of the stuff that Kels has been talking about as well. Will you commit to doing that today and every day until you see Jesus? That's the, that's the first group. I think then there's a second group in the room and you're the sort of people who know that you don't want to follow Jesus. And so my challenge to you today is consider the claims of Jesus that he makes as you read through the story. Jesus is the one who can actually open your eyes so that you will see the way life is meant to be. And there are all sorts of reasons why you don't want to change life. But the claim that Jesus makes on your life is that actually, when you run life his way, then life works best. That is life. And so my challenge to you is, if you're not ready to change life, then continue to consider the claims of Jesus. And keep talking to another Christian about it, and keep coming back over the next couple of weeks. Take the Bible. Read it for yourself. Work out if what I am saying, other Christians are saying, is actually what the text says. But then I think there's also a third group of people in the room today, and for various reasons, because you are starting to consider the claims of Jesus as an adult, you are at a point where you know you actually want to change. You're still not quite sure about what that means, but you've got to the point where actually you've heard a bit more about Jesus as an adult now than you may have in the last couple of weeks, and you're actually ready to, at this point, say, yes, I'm ready to stop and to turn around and to start following Jesus instead of just walking away from him. 
particularly uh, to this group of people, I say, what does it mean to be a Christian? For as I've said earlier, the Christian is the one who recognises that they need to repent and turn around and then continues to recognise that daily in an ongoing sense. To be a Christian means that you recognise Jesus for who he claims to be. Unlike the religious leaders, unlike the Pharisees, who heard the claims of Jesus, but failed to see. Being a Christian is the one who recognises that Jesus is the one who offers forgiveness for sins. And being a Christian is at that point saying sorry to God. Now, I don't know about you, but at times in my past, I've found it very difficult to say sorry to people. I don't know how often you say sorry to people, but I've found it very difficult because I've had to accept that I've done the wrong thing. And I don't like doing that because I want to be the person who always does the right thing. You see the problem that I've got? If I keep thinking that I'm always doing the right thing, then when I go and do something that God tells me not to do, I've got a problem. And so at this point, being a Christian recognises that you've actually been living the way you've not been meant to be living. And for some people, that's a really tough thing to do. Why? Because actually you're recognising that you've struggled with life. You're recognising that you've not lived the way you were meant to live. And I think you're also recognising in some small way that life is going to be different from now on. And at that point, that may give you great joy and hope. But in some other ways, that you know will actually mean you're going to have to change your actions, your attitudes, your speech, your thoughts, your behaviours. That seems like quite a high cost. But the Christian is the one who comes before God, recognises that life will need to be lived differently, says sorry to God, accepts his generous forgiveness and commits to, live the life, commits to live life the way God intends. Now, in a moment, I'm going to pray a prayer, which in many ways expresses those sorts of things. And if you'd like to pray that prayer, perhaps for the first time today, then I'll encourage you to pray that prayer in the quietness of your own heart. If you've already previously agreed to follow Jesus, then you might like to pray a very similar prayer and ask that God, through the work of His Spirit in your life, would continually enable you to keep living as a follower of Jesus. Hey, can I question? ask a quick question? Yeah. Uh, everyone, um, has anyone turned, became a Christian, and their lives did not change for better? Did anyone became a Christian and their life just didn't change, didn't become better? It just, it just, it just got worse. Did, did anyone? Some resistance. 
because it means life needs to be lived differently. And that will take you some time to work through. It might not mean that this very afternoon your entire life changes. But what it should mean is that over the next couple of days, over the next week, over the next month, over the next few years, you will live according to the way that Jesus wants you to live. And if you're prepared to make that commitment today, then you can pray this prayer with me now that I'm going to pray. You might like to just close your eyes. We'll do it again. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for sending Jesus to earth. Thank you that he lived a perfect life. And thank you that he showed us how it is that we can be in a right relationship with you. We thank you most of all for his death and resurrection so that you can now forgive us when and if we walk away from you. Father God, we recognise that at times, or perhaps for all of our life, we have not lived following Jesus. And this very afternoon, we say sorry. We thank you that you forgive us because of the death of Jesus and ask, please, that you would help us to live lives which follow Jesus. We're sorry for the way we lived and we thank you that you will help us to live lives that follow Jesus. Amen. Now, if you're a Christian,